This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today, we are continuing our message series from Mark chapter 5 called Unchained. And so what we're doing is just kind of slowly walking through a story in Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20 of Jesus bringing unlikely freedom to an unlikely man who lives in an unlikely place. And we're just slowly walking through kind of a couple verses at a time and exploring what it teaches us about who Jesus is, about how Jesus acts, and about what that means for us today. One of my favorite parts of preaching in this manner is it brings me to topics that I probably normally wouldn't address or wouldn't be as likely to address on my own. And so this morning is one of those. We're going to talk about what it means to live in proper fear of the Lord. Um, Now, the fear of the Lord is not uh, really something that, that we hear talked about a whole lot um, it's kind of, uh, it, times can feel like that was from a bygone era. That's, you know, the, the days of fire and brimstone, it goes there. Um, sometimes it gets associated unjustly with legalism and other things. And so we tend to just stay away from it. We prefer God as our loving father. We prefer Jesus as our friend, the Holy Spirit as our counselor. All of those things are true. And yet the scriptures are very, very clear to us that to encounter God is to fear him. And if you don't fear him, you have not encountered him. And so what we're going to see today is that when we embrace a proper fear of God, he uses that proper and holy fear to drive out all the smaller fears that hold us captive and keep us from the life he has for us. Now, uh, when it comes to fear, it's one of those things that um, fear is funny when it's happening to someone else in kind of a lighthearted way. How many of you enjoy scaring people? Right? Like, yes. Okay. So, so like in, in our house, uh, I remember my house growing up, it was pretty easy to scare my sisters, but my dad was like the gold standard. If you could get dad to jump, you'd done something significant. And he would let us know like, look, I'm never going to jump because I'm not scared of any of you. Right? So I don't care. You jump out of that. I'm not scared of anyone in this house. I'm not scared of anyone in this neighborhood. So it was our life's goal to try to, to make him jump. Now, that was difficult. I think maybe we got him once the whole time I was growing up. But then there are other people in your life that are just really easy to scare. How many of you are the easy to scare person? You just, I mean, you scream, you jump, you squeal. Now, of you who are easy, put your hands back up, easy to scare. We're not going to scare you, I promise. Not right now. Um, how many of you, you're easy to scare, your family knows it, and you don't appreciate it? Like, they take advantage of it, they find too much pleasure in it. Yeah, so in, in our family, the person that's the easiest to scare is Angie's mom, sweet Grandma Lou. Sweet Grandma Lou, if you say boo behind her, she jumps and screams to the point that a couple years ago, I had to tell my kids, you have to stop. Like, stop. I'm, I'm legitimately afraid you're going to kill Grandma. And then it's going to happen at our house, and then there's going to be a big thing with your uncles, and it's going to be, you know, and, and I'm not going to have anything to explain except we thought it was funny. You know, like that, that doesn't, it doesn't go well, but there, there's this idea of, of fear because we can't really manage it. We try to kind of lighten the load and the serious nature of it. And so, so some of you might feel like, hey, I really enjoy scary movies. I like being afraid. I would submit to you, you don't actually like being afraid. You like feeling just a little scared while you still have control of the situation. But true fear is something that no one enjoys, something that no one embraces, and something that Jesus came to unchain us from. 
And so there's all kinds of reasons that we can be afraid in the world, and, and we'll get into those here in a little bit. But as we read through Mark chapter 5 this morning, what I want you to kind of pay attention to is how often fear comes up in this story and how Jesus deals with it. And what we're going to see all through this morning is when we embrace a proper fear of Jesus, it drives out all the smaller fears that hold us captive. So we're going to read this whole passage today, Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. It begins with they, meaning Jesus and the disciples, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. And when we talk about living in proper fear of Jesus, the first thing we have to understand is Jesus isn't scared of anything, anyone, any situation. There's nothing you face that has ever caused him one element of fear. He's never been worried. He's never been concerned. He's never been anxious. He's never been stressed. He's never experienced any of those things. He's not scared of anything in your life. Now, I don't, I don't know how you talk about fear. For most of us, we don't like to admit when we're afraid or when we're scared. Right? It, it starts at a young age. So my, my oldest son, Connor, I, I got his permission. So, so we're good here. Not, not telling any secrets, I can't. He was like, it's fine. You can tell the story. Uh, so Connor was three years old. And uh, he said, the only thing you have to tell is how old I was. Just make sure people know I was only three. <laughs> This wasn't, you know, so I had the temptation of Connor was 13. He was three, though. He was really, he was three years old. So 14 years ago, uh, 14 years ago, I had some twisted ideas in my mind I was working through as well. 14 years ago, I thought running was fun um, and, and was like a normal activity that people should embrace. And so I, I'd started running with a, a couple of my buddies. I was doing a couple triathlons, and I signed up for the Jinx Aquarium Half Marathon. So Connor was three, and uh, Corbin was a baby. I think Angie was pregnant with Audrey. And so what that means is there was absolutely no way Angie was getting up on a Saturday morning to go stand at the aquarium while I ran in a circle for two hours. 
It just wasn't going to happen. Hour and 45 minutes, actually. My best one. And then I quit. So, um, you know, then, then you just kind of have this idea of like, well, if, if you're not going, well, Connor, I know it started at seven. He's normally up at five anyway. So I guess you get to come with me. So he came with me. I was running it with Adam and Thomas, some of my buddies from, from Christian Chapel. And uh, Pastor Lauren, our worship pastor, her husband Thomas was running it with me. So I would arranged with Lauren of, hey, if you're going to be there, can I bring Connor and he can just hang out with you while we run? And she said, absolutely. So three-year-old Connor, super friendly, super confident, loves to hang around with everyone. We go to the, the race and he runs off and hangs out with Lauren and, and we go run. So they go through the aquarium and they look at the fish and they look at the sharks and they do all this sort of thing. Well, what we didn't know, and if I'd known, I would have prepared Lauren for, was uh, that there were going to be mascots at the aquarium that day. So there were people dressed up like sharks, there were people dressed up like fish, there were people dressed up like, I don't know, any, anything you would have for an aquarium mascot. And um, what we didn't warn Lauren of was Connor was terrified of two things, mascots and clowns. Right? The mascots we never understood, the clowns we were on board with. If that's legitimate, you should be scared, that's fine, uh, don't worry about that. But, but we would take him as a two or three-year-old to ORU basketball games, and he would run from Eli the eagle like he was the devil himself. Like, did not want any part of it. Eli would come, you know, and it was just, it was horrifying to him. Well, I hadn't told Lauren this, and so, so at the end of the race, I, I come up, and I find them, and doing the dad thing of, hey, how'd he do? And she said, it was great. We had a lot of fun. We saw the fish. We saw the sharks. We did this. She said, I, I did notice, though, he was, uh, he's a little scared of the mascots. And I said, oh, yeah, sorry. I should have told you that. She said, actually, every time one would walk close to us, he would turn and run back and hug my leg. And as a three-year-old boy, there was something in Connor that knew it's not okay to admit that I'm scared. And so he turned to Lauren, he stuck his little finger out right up in her face, and he says, I wasn't scared, I just wanted to hug you. <laughs> and he wanted to make it abundantly clear, I have no fear. And we just laughed at him, and we still laugh at him. And occasionally when Lauren comes and gives him a hug, we'll still say, I just wanted to hug you, right? And, and it's just one of those things that lives on. And yet, what it revealed to me then, what it still reveals to me now, is from our earliest memories, we are taught in our family, in our culture, and even in our churches, that when we're afraid, we don't admit it. When we're afraid, we hide it, we stuff it, we deny it, we try to work around it, we try to control the source of fear so it can't cause us any harm any longer. And yet we know all of our efforts are ultimately fruitless because fear persists. There are still things that cause you to lay awake at bed at night. There are still things that when you wake up in the morning, they're the first thing on your mind. This past week, as, as some of us read the stories of Russia invading Ukraine, it sent us down fear spirals of, well, what could happen and then and if that and if this and then then. There are things that happened at work. One of the, the things I live with an awareness of is every Sunday we gather together, there's someone in the room who got terrible news in the last week. Somebody has a new thing to be afraid of. Somebody's dealing with something in their family. You're dealing with something in your marriage. You're dealing with something at school. You're dealing with something in your body. You're dealing with something at work or in your finances. There are always things attacking us that cause fear. And if we're going to live with proper fear, it's not that we're going to pretend these things don't bother us. Instead, we're going to acknowledge that is bothering me. It is causing fear. It is, and any of the other code words we use for fear, stress, anxiety, worry, concern, all of that just means I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. And in each one of those spaces, the first lesson that Mark chapter five teaches us this morning is Jesus isn't scared. Jesus isn't scared. 
The things that scare you are scared of him. The things that make you cower, bow before him. The things that make you tremble, shake in his presence. There has never been a situation, a relationship, an obstacle, a sickness, a hardship, or a difficulty in your life that Jesus has looked at and thought, don't know what to do there. Maybe the Holy Spirit has an idea. I'm all tapped out. It has never once happened. When Jesus sees problems in your life, when he sees things that cause you fear, he always moves towards them with a plan and with the power he needs to execute that plan. We see it in Mark chapter 5. Jesus and the disciples, they, in Mark 4, they've been on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the friendly area where the Jewish people live. They've crossed the sea overnight. They've encountered a huge storm that the disciples were terrified of, but Jesus wasn't scared of. In fact, he's so unafraid that he lays down and goes to sleep. When they wake him up and say, Lord, we're going to drown, he says, peace be still, the waves and the wind stop. And then he says, let's continue on. As they go across, they arrive, it tells us, in the region of the Gerasenes. In the last couple of weeks, we've done a lot of work explaining this was the sketchy place where good men like Jesus didn't go. This was a place where the Gentiles lived. They didn't worship the right way. They didn't live the right way. They were pagan and proud of it. And as they arrive in this place, the disciples don't want to go. Before they've even docked their boat on the shore, they are met by a madman running and screaming towards them. And so I just want you to to picture exactly what is happening here. The disciples have been with Jesus all day the day before while he's teaching this massive crowds. They have rowed across the lake overnight in the middle of a severe storm. They are exhausted. They are tired. They're probably hoping, let's just get on shore. Let's get some food. And then maybe let's see if we can get Jesus to get out of here. Before they get any rest, they're confronted by the face of evil itself. A tormented man running from the direction of the tombs towards them, crying out at them. And their response is probably what yours and I's would have been of, Jesus, are you sure? Can we just please go back? But what does Jesus do? Jesus gets out of the boat, and Mark tells us the story a little out of order. In verse 8, it says, his first encounter with the man as he walks towards him, and he says, come out of that man, you impure spirit. Jesus, when he sees the thing that makes everyone else afraid, his response is not just, I'm not scared. His response is, I've come for that. I've come to bring freedom in that space. Now, if you or I are Jesus, we're probably going to be a little more cautious. If I'm in charge of the boat that day, I'm telling the other disciples when I see this man shrieking towards the shoreline of, hey, let's hang out about 50 yards offshore. If he starts swimming, you start rowing. Like, we're, we're just, we're not going to get real close. You know, maybe if I'm Jesus and I know everyone's uh, end from their beginning, I look around at the disciples and I'm asking for, you know, who's going to volunteer to go see what this man needs? right? Judas, how about you? Like it's, you know, I know how this is going to end. It's not getting well for you. It's not getting well for me. Let's get it over. Go ahead, Judas, swim in there. Swim in there. See what's But he doesn't. What does he do? He sees this man. He sees a situation that everyone else is scared of. Everyone else turns away from, and Jesus walks toward it. And what we need to understand is the same thing is true for you and I today. The things that cause you fear do not intimidate Jesus at all. He's not worried about it. Your sin is not too much for him to come towards you. The addiction that you're sure is repulsive to him and keeps him at an arm's length from you, saying, no, 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 that's exactly why I've came. 
I'm getting out of the boat. I'm walking towards you. I have a plan and I have the power I need. Jesus isn't scared. Because he's not scared, we should embrace his arrival in the places where we're experiencing fear. We should seek it. We should cry out for it. And when Jesus shows up in those places, it elicits two competing responses of fear within us. We see it in the man in Mark chapter 5. We've probably seen it in our own lives as well. So when Jesus shows up, he's not scared. He's going to confront it. The first thing we see is this man embraces a fear of living without Jesus. And then he fights against a fear of living with Jesus. And and you and I are going to have the same thing. When Jesus shows up in the areas where you're afraid, in the areas where you're suffering, in the areas where you're in captivity, the first response you're going to have is, I am afraid to live one more moment without Christ. And immediately the enemy is going to attack and try to make you afraid of living one moment with Christ. Listen to to what that looks like in Mark chapter 5. So it says, Jesus, he tells, again, Mark tells us the story backwards. So Jesus arrives on the shore. He commands this impure spirit to come out. In verse 6, it says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. So so it's hard to discern in Mark chapter 5 when the man is acting according to his own will and when the demonic presence inside of him overtakes him and forces him to speak or to do certain things. What we, what we think, and, and I think is, is a safe assumption for us to make, is that when the man runs and bows at the feet of Jesus, this is an act of his own free will. That there is something in him that recognizes there is something in Jesus that he needs. So again, let's, let's just let's kind of slow down and let's think about this man's life. We don't know how long he's lived this way, but it, it seems like it's been a pattern for quite a while. Maybe, maybe months, maybe years, maybe decades, maybe for as long as he's known. And so, so for as long as he has suffered under the oppression of these demons who torment him, he has been isolated from others. Every time he would walk up to someone, they would either scream at him to go away, or they would try to chase him off, or they would turn and go in the other direction. If he would try to initiate a conversation, even in moments of clarity, no one wanted to be around him. His whole experience under the the torment of these demons has been abuse, has been rejection, and isolation. They've tried to chain him up, they've tried to shut him up, and when that doesn't work, they've driven him out to live among the tombs. And on this day, he sees a boat full of men pulling up that he doesn't recognize. He, it seems like he's starting through his normal activity of ranting and raving and coming towards them. But this day's different because there's a man who gets out of the boat and says, come out of him, you impure spirit. And at the power of Jesus's word, there is something that registers in this man's heart and mind of, I need what he has. And it says, from a distance, he saw him. And he sprinted towards him and he threw himself at Jesus' feet. This is why I think it's the man acting of his own will to bow in that way as an act of submission. It's an act of worship. It's an act of surrender. It's a recognition that I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're doing. But when you spoke, something changed inside of me. You and I, we've had this experience. 
You might have submitted to it or you might have rejected it, but you've had the moment where your sin has taken you to a level of darkness you never thought you would experience, where the addiction has gripped you so tightly you never thought you would be free again, where the relationship is so damaged you thought the only hope was for it to end and to start over with someone else. And in that space, at your most desperate moment, you have heard the words of life spoken to you. Maybe it was through the scriptures, maybe it was through a song, maybe it was through an invitation to church. Could have been a sermon, a small group teaching. It could have been as you drove in a car, as you had a conversation with a friend. But somewhere along the way, you, like that man, had an encounter with Jesus and you knew, I can't live without that. He has something I need. And so it might not have looked the same, or maybe it did, but there was a moment where you sprint towards Jesus and you just bow and surrender and you're basically saying, Lord, I don't know who you are, I don't know what you have, but I know I can't keep going on the way that I am. And in that moment, you have an option to embrace a proper fear of God. Lord, you have a power that's unlike anything I've ever seen or known. You speak words that are unlike anything I've ever heard before. You give a hope that runs deeper than my sin. And in that space, our, our desire is just to bow down in worship, surrender, and submission. And yet what we see happen in this man's life is what happens in our life in that moment as well. The moment the enemy senses you're embracing a proper fear of Jesus, he tries to invade with an improper fear of Jesus. When he sees you fear life without Jesus, he tries to make you fear life with Jesus. And this is where we see the, the, the demonic force inside of this man rise up. When it senses that he is being drawn to Jesus, the response in verse 7 is he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. The evil inside of this man is afraid of Jesus and it causes him to react in fear. The demons, they, they recognize the power of Jesus. They ascribe to him a title of divinity. They recognize the true nature of Jesus in a way that the disciples have yet to grasp. The demons know they're beat and they're afraid. And so their response is to elicit one last terrified outburst in this man, hoping that as has happened so many other times in his life, that when they cry out through him, everyone else will abandon him. But they know they've met their match this time. And he bows before Jesus, and as he bows, this old fear begins to rise up of Jesus might bring freedom, but you don't know what that freedom will cost you. Jesus might bring life, but you don't know exactly what it will be. Now, now for you and I, we've, we've been in this battle. It's a battle of two fears, and you have to choose one. You will either live with a proper fear of the Lord or with an improper fear of smaller things that hold you captive. There's no middle ground. There's no third way. And so we've, we've been in this space. We can identify with this man in Mark 5. Of, you're simultaneously crying out, I need to surrender to Jesus. And also, I don't know if I can surrender to Jesus. You're saying, Lord, shine light into my darkness, and Jesus, not so much light into my darkness. Right? The enemy comes, and you say, I need to confess. And the enemy says, if you do, people will find out. Have you really thought about this? If you confess that sin, others are going to know who you are and what you've done. If you confess to your spouse, they're probably going to want to talk about it a lot. You might have to go to a counselor. It might create more problems. You're probably better just staying where you are because at least you can manage this. At least you know what to expect. 
And so we, we go back and forth in this endless kind of tug of war between I want the freedom Jesus has, but I'm not really sure that he's not going to require more of me than I want. And this is where the enemy continues to deceive us. It's where he keeps us captive. Because instead of embracing a proper fear of Jesus, of his way is the best way, his way is the only way, we settle for these fears that we think we can manage but actually hold us captive. And so this man, he cries out, what do you want with me in God's name? Don't torture me. But he's afraid. The evil inside of him is making him afraid. But Jesus has come, not to bring terror, but to bring freedom. And for you and I, what what we're learning from Mark chapter 5 is when we make that choice to live with a proper fear of the Lord, we're getting as close as we're going to come to living with no fear. And now now that idea of living with no fear is, is very appealing to us. I don't know about you, but I would love it if I never was afraid of anything ever again. I would sleep better at night. I I wouldn't snap at people as often. I wouldn't have as many weird conversations where I can't fully articulate why I don't like something, just kind of saying, I I don't know. It's fear. It's fear that lives in us. And, And because we don't like fear, as we said earlier, from the time we're little, we learn to try to manage it. We learn to try to hide it. And then somewhere along the way, we learn to try to deny fear entirely and to believe that through my own achievements, I can get to the place where fear no longer has a hold on me. So what does that look like for us? In, in, in our culture, it looks like I can educate myself past the point of fear. I can earn myself past the point of fear. I can, I can build up a big enough portfolio. I can make enough money that I don't have to be afraid anymore. Or maybe you think I, I can surround myself with enough loving relationships that I'll never be afraid again. When I was, when I was in middle school, so I'm a I was a teenager through the 90s. And through the 90s, yeah, any other 90s teenagers? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad to admit because what we're admitting is we're old now, right? Um, like college kids are like, I wasn't born. What were the 90s? So let me tell you about the 90s, okay? In the 90s, if you wanted people to know, I'm not afraid. I'm tough. I don't fear you. There was a line of clothing you had to buy. And it was no fear clothing. And it said right on it, no fear, right? Brilliant marketing strategy, no fear. And it had all these other statements that went along with it. And, and because it was the 90s, the Christian t-shirt industry soon ripped it off. No fear, except from the Lord, right? And, and so there were these versions. But, but I remember as a seventh grader living in Topeka, Kansas. I don't know, I was probably five foot seven, weighed about 72 pounds, I had acne on my face, I had a squeaky voice, and I loved the idea that I could throw on a t-shirt or a hat that said no fear and basically announce to my whole school, I ain't scared of nothing. I ain't scared of you. Well, I mean, I'm not, you're wearing a no fear shirt, I'm wearing a no fear shirt. Let's go. Who's more, you know, I'm not scared of my teachers, I'm not scared of my parents, I'm not scared of my sisters, I'm not scared of my brother, I'm not scared of this, I'm not scared of that. And, and all of it, what was it? It was posturing, pathetic, hysterical posturing. Have you ever, now if you're 12, I, I love you. 
Have you ever watched a 12-year-old boy strut around like he's the king of the world? Man, I don't need nothing. I don't know. Why are you always trying to tell me stuff? Right? I was smarter than my mom. I was smarter than my dad. I was smarter than all my teachers. I'd watch the war movies, and I would have been the hero in every one of them. Right? It just had this, like, oh, let's go. But it was, it was posturing. Because inside, I was terrified of not fitting in. I was terrified that people would know I was just a poser and was just posturing. I was terrified that I wouldn't fit in at school and that I wouldn't fit in at church. I was terrified that I wouldn't do well enough in the classroom and I wouldn't do well enough on the basketball court. I was terrified if people found out who I really was, they wouldn't really like me, and I wasn't even sure who I really was. I was terrified in every situation, in every place, and instead of acknowledging it and asking the Lord to help me with it, I slapped on a t-shirt and said, I'm not afraid, and then stayed up at night worrying about all of it. And from 12 to 40, there's been some progress, thankfully. But there are still some moments where I'm tempted to posture and pose. Where circumstances come and situations rise up and they inspire real fear inside of me. And when others ask how I'm doing with it, my response is like, I'm fine. It's cool. I'm not worried about it. Sometimes I can spiritualize the answer, and it sounds like I believe it, but I know in my heart the fear still lives there. Oh, the, the Lord will provide. He's always faithful. He's never let me down. He won't, he won't, he won't, he won't. He won't. We sang it. He won't. He won't. He won't. He didn't. He can't. He's not going to. And what is, I mean, those, those things are all true. I'm not minimizing them. But what I'm saying is there are times when I can present that image to the world and still be bound up in fear inside. And and if you're honest, you've been in the same boat. And, And so what we have to acknowledge is the idea of me getting to the point where I live without any fear at all is never going to happen. So the choice we face is what are you going to fear? Are you going to embrace a holy and proper fear of the Lord and live in accordance with that? Or are you going to be ruled by fear of smaller things that continue to hold you captive? Those are your only options. Proverbs makes it very clear to us which way we're supposed to go. In Proverbs 9 verse 10, it tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, if we had time, we would explore what wisdom means in Proverbs. Wisdom basically in Proverbs means the way of life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the way of life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the way of the kingdom. For our purposes today, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of freedom. You don't get free by Jesus showing up just to help you manage or feel a little less stressed about what's going in your life. You get free when you embrace a fear of the Lord. Now again, I told you earlier to fear the Lord is not a real common conversation or topic that we discuss in churches or that you talk about with your friends. And yet as you read through scriptures, what do you see again and again and again? Every time God shows up and speaks to his people, one of the first commands he has to give them is do not be afraid, do not fear. Why? Because to encounter the Lord in his holiness forces us to recognize the difference between who we are and who he is between what we are and what he is. And in that space, it does cause us to shudder and shiver. It should cause us to fall to our knees in worship and surrender. 
it should cause us to identify with the Old Testament prophets who encountered the Lord and said, woe to me. I am unclean. I cannot be in your presence. To live with a fear of the Lord is to understand he is the creator, he is the sustainer, he is the savior, he is the judge. He is the righteous one. He is the one who has a purpose and a path, and it's not negotiable for you. This is the way, and you will walk in it. It's not up for negotiation or discussion. To live in the fear of the Lord is not to live in abject terror of the Lord. It is to live with a proper, holy, reverential sense of awe at his majesty and his power. He is the Lord, and there is no one like him. If we don't fear him, it's because our view of him is much too small. So if you're in a spot this morning where you think, you know what, I I do not live with any sort of active fear of the Lord. I'm not trying to draw you in to a, a way of relating to God that is defined by terror and fear. What I'm telling you is when you embrace true, authentic fear of the Lord, it sets you free from all of the other smaller fears in life. Because you know, that's the one who said he's got me. That's the one who's showing up in my situation. The creator of heaven and earth. The maker and sustainer of all things. The one who gives me every single breath. The one who keeps the world spinning. The one who keeps the sun in the sky. He's the one coming with plans and purposes for every area of my life. And over every fear, he has victory. And when we live in light of who God is, the chains of fear in smaller areas begin to fall away because you begin to understand he's the God of my marriage and he has a plan for it. He's the God of my children. They were his before they were mine and he has a plan for them. He's the God of my future. He's the God of my health. He's the God of this world. He's the God of Russia. He's the God of Ukraine. He's the God of every people, every place, every language, every tribe, every tongue. There is nothing outside of his view. There is nothing outside of his power. And when we begin to get this elevated view of God, all of our other fears begin to pale in comparison. That's what happens for this man that day on the beach. He comes and he bows before Jesus in worship and surrender. Says, Lord, basically saying, I need what you have. And simultaneously crying out, don't torture me. And as we'll get into in the coming weeks, I love Jesus' response. Because Jesus doesn't tell him, hey, I need you to get a hold of this. I need you to get a hold of yourself. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to do this right. He meets the man at his point of terror. And he brings complete and total peace. The, the last thing I want to leave you with this morning is Jesus comes to drive out fear. When he shows up on the, the shore of the lake that day in the, the region of the Gerasenes, he's not showing to make this man a slightly better version of himself. He's not coming to help him manage his problems, help him reduce the number of times he shrieks. He's not coming to say, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's put a shirt on. Maybe you can have lunch with your mom on the outskirts of town. He's not doing any of that. He has come to set the captive free. And what that means for you and I is in the areas of life where we are currently battling fear or are captive to fear. Jesus is not just coming to bring a little relief. He is coming to bring complete and total release. It cannot hold on to you any longer. 
I love the picture that, that John gives us in 1 John chapter 4. He tells us, perfect love drives out fear. Now, perfect love is Jesus. Right? So another way to understand that is Jesus drives out fear. And I don't know, I know some of you are parents, some of you aren't, but, but, but just for a moment, put yourself in the position of a parent. Right? And, and I, want, I want to help you think and understand what it means for Jesus to drive out your fear. Because I think some of us, we have an idea of Jesus drives out our fear by politely asking it to not bother us anymore. Jesus drives out our fear by telling us, here, here are five breathing techniques to help you calm down the next time you can't sleep. It's not that at all, right? So, so I'm, a, I'm a dad, I've got a little girl. She's a teenager. And so, so put yourself in, in my shoes for a minute. Now as a teenager, teenage girl, that means boys are on the horizon at some point in the next 25 years, all right? Like they'll come at some point. And when they come, I mean, I'm praying, Lord, when that day comes, let it be somebody who loves you. Let it be a boy who walks in the power of your spirit. And let it be a young man who walks in the fear of the Lord and a little fear of me. Not a lot. I want to be able to talk to him, but I do. I want that kid to be just a little uneasy. Right? I want him to know in the Dow family, there is a little bit of crazy, right? Just a touch. It's being redeemed. It's being refined. The Holy Spirit is working. But sometimes it snaps. And I want him to live with that awareness. Now, now let's just imagine, let's just imagine that this boy does not walk with the Spirit. And he harms my daughter in some way. Let's say he, he, he goes past breaking her heart and, and he's verbally abusive towards her. Let's say he threatens her. Let's say he makes her feel unsafe, unwelcome, unloved, and unwanted. And let's say I become aware of all of this. And let's say he shows up on my doorstep and says, I'm here to see your daughter. In that moment, I'm going to embrace 1 John chapter 4. And perfect love is going to drive out fear. And what am I going to do? I, I mean, I'm not going to physically harm him. I'm not looking to go to jail. But I'm going to invite him to get in my car. And we're either going to drive back to his parents' house or we're going to drive to his grandparents' house far, far away or we're going to go somewhere. And the whole time we're in the car, it's going to be made abundantly clear to him, you will never step foot on my property again. You will never speak my daughter's name again. You will never call her again. You will not talk to her again. You will not do anything. I'm not just going to tell him, hey, bud, I hope you straighten up a little bit. We're going to have a very direct conversation, and I'm going to do my best to drive him out of her life. This is what it means for Jesus to deal with your fear. He shows up and does for you what you cannot do for yourself. He takes your fear captive, he throws it in the bed of the trunk, and he takes it out for a drive into the country, and you never see it again. And if it tries to come creeping back in, he stands at the door as your guard, letting it know you're not welcome here. And if it's a fear you've grown to love and you try to sneak out the side door to welcome it back in, he's there to meet you and say, we're not doing that. We're not living this way. We're not going to do this. Jesus has come not to manage your fear, but to deliver you from it. So if you'll, if you'll do me a favor, if you'll bow your head and close your eyes right where you are, I want to invite you just to do a, a little visual exercise with me. With your eyes closed, I want you to picture 
your current source of fear. I don't know exactly what it might be. It might be fears over failing out at school. It might be fears that the future you've hoped for is not going to be possible. Maybe it's a fear that you'll always be alone. It's a fear that the grief will never leave. It's a fear that the depression will never lift. Your fear might have a name and a face. It might be a person in your life. You're afraid they'll leave or you're afraid they'll return. You're afraid they'll cause harm. You're afraid they'll cause difficulty. Your fear might be events in the world, events in our community, things that are outside of your control, but I want you to picture it. I want you to name it. I want you to focus on it. And as you focus on it, I want you to focus on the terror that it causes in your heart. The ways that it causes you to react like that man in Mark chapter 5, it isolates you from your friends and family. It will not be bound or kept under control. It terrorizes you night and day. It causes you to shriek and to cry out. And as you see the power of it, I, wanna, I want you to put yourself in that fear on the edge of the lake. And I want you to see Jesus coming towards you in the boat. And in that space of fear and trembling, that space of terror and uncertainty, he comes today and his message is exactly the same. He speaks to your situation. He speaks to your fear directly and powerfully. And he says, come out. That fear cannot reside in your heart and mind anymore. It cannot possess you any longer. It cannot control you for another moment because one greater than fear is here. And I want you to picture yourself taking the posture of that man and you come and you bow before the Lord. And as the enemy tries to inspire even more terror, you embrace the presence, the power, and the peace of Jesus. And as he speaks the words come out, you're releasing that fear to him. The anxiety, the worry, the doubt, the concern, whatever you call it, you're turning it over to him. And you're instead choosing to live with a holy and proper fear of the Lord. Understanding that he is the God who's over all, above all, and in all. He's the God who has seen this situation from its earliest moments. And he's the God who's showing up right now with a plan and the power to set you free. So Jesus, we come to you in this space. You see the things we're thinking of. You see the fears that we've named. And Lord, we ask in this moment that you would come and speak words of freedom. Lord, we, we pray in this space you would come and set us free from the fears of loneliness and isolation. God, will you come and set us free from the fear that our anger, our bitterness, our rage will only grow stronger? Will you set married couples free this morning from the fear that this is over and done with? Lord, for the, the parent with the prodigal, will you set them free from the fear that their child will never return and know the life you have for them? For those facing sickness and disease, will you set them free from the fear that you have forgotten them and turned away from them? For those needing your provision, Lord, will you set them free from the thought that they will always be in need and always be in want? 
Jesus, we come to acknowledge our fear and to experience your freedom. Will you come and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves? Lord, forgive us for settling for managing our fear. Help us to embrace the freedom that you have brought to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.